I think that if Kushner is not sleeping soundly, it's financial and it's the data analytics mm -hmm. relationship to the Facebook social media thing. He, he is uh, playing a very serious hand here. Financial dealings of these guys, Trump, Cohen, Kushner, they're all on Mueller's table. Did Trump know all of this and not care? Or did he know none of it because he's incompetent? In other words, is Trump smart enough to be evil? Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who wishes he could tell the FBI to prosecute his political enemies, but knows he isn't supposed to. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. First, an announcement. We have a live show coming up at the Norse Theater in San Francisco on November 14th. You can get tickets for it at slate.com slash live. This one's going to be fun. We're going to have John D. Domenico in character as you-know-who, Jamal Bowie, Virginia Heffernan. And hey, if you have topic suggestions for things you'd like to hear us discuss at that show, send them to us at Real Trumpcast. That's our Twitter handle. You should be following us anyway. So there's a newish Netflix show out called Ozark. I just started watching it. If you love Breaking Bad, you'll think, hey, this is the same basic idea, but not nearly as good. Instead of making meth, the lead character, played by Jason Bateman, is busy laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. One of the things I do like about Ozark, though, is its focus on the mechanics of cleaning dirty money. One episode even opens with a set-piece tutorial called Money Laundering 101. But here's the problem. That dirty money is too clean. Looks like it just came out of a bank vault. You gotta age it up, crumple it, drag it through the dirt, run it over with your car. Anything to make it look like it's been around the block. Bateman's character actually puts bundles of banknotes in a laundry bag and tosses it in the dryer. He explains you have to make those fresh bills look more worn. I don't think that's what Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller is charging Paul Manafort with doing with his ill-gotten oligarchical gains. Manafort's operation was a little higher end than that. Caviar, not catfish. Cyprus, not Haha Tonka State Park. I don't think he was moving bags of cash around. But the same basic laundering techniques, creating lots of shell companies based in island tax havens and moving illicit money through legitimate businesses, look very similar. Why did Manafort want to do that and seemingly do it so brazenly? I'll be back to talk to Adam Davidson about Trump's money laundering cronies right after we do the tweets. Pocahontas has stated that the Democrats, led by the legendary crooked Hillary Clinton, rigged the primaries. Let's go, FBI and Justice Department. The rigged Dem primary, one of the biggest political stories in recent years, got zero coverage on fake news network TV last night. Disgraceful. The real story on collusion is in Donna B's new book, Crooked Hillary Bought the DNC and then stole the Democratic primary from Crazy Bernie. The Tucker Carlson opening statement about our once 
cherished and great FBI was so sad to watch. James Comey's leadership was a disaster. My Twitter account was taken down for 11 minutes by a rogue employee. I guess the word must finally be getting out and having an impact. Joining me in the studio today is Adam Davidson of The New Yorker, Planet Money. Where else, Adam? Uh, Brooklyn, New York. Excellent. Park Slope. Here we are. Terrace. Here we are in, in uh, Slate's Brooklyn studios. And I wanted to talk to you about money laundering because you're one of the few people I know who I think really understands this. And it's at the heart of this indictment of Paul Manafort and Rick Gates from Bob Mueller's office. And, you know, we money laundering is one of these terms people throw around a lot. Like, you know, drug dealers have to launder their money because the money's dirty and they have to get it. What is money laundering? Why do, why do people have to do it? Why would Paul Manafort be money laundering? Sure. So money laundering as separate from whatever the original crime was, selling drugs or doing the bidding of Ukrainian oligarchs or whatever, money laundering is transferring money from one place to another to make it usable in that new jurisdiction without carrying the stain of the original crime. So, you know, I think Breaking Bad remains the great money laundering explainer that I've ever seen. You know, here's a guy making way too much money than he can explain uh, as a teacher by making drugs. He has all this cash. He wants to use the cash in some way. So how does he get it out in the world, in a bank account, able to buy airplane tickets and cars and stuff without calling attention to himself? You know, so drug dealers and, and big narco traffickers, that's the original classic. That's what we thought of. And then going into the 2000s, there's this growing epidemic, I guess you could call it, of these oligarchs. So these are Russian oligarchs, former Soviet Union, you know, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Kazakhstan, as well as China and some oil-rich countries where they have all this money and they're worried about two major things, So, uh, which really is one major thing. So they don't want the big guy in town, Putin or uh, Nazarbayev or whoever it is, to take their money. That's the number one risk. The boss in charge of you expropriating your money. So you want to get it out of the country. And then they also want to be able to spend money. You want to have a you know, beautiful place in the Cote d'Azur and you want to have a yacht that can take you around the world. You want to go somewhere safe and clean and you want to be able to get away from whatever the political situation or the threats you might face under a new regime or a change in political authority or whatever it is. And, exactly. Yeah. And that, I think, that is the community for whom money laundering and Trump come together, that's the crowd he's dealing with. You went straight where I was going to go in a little while, Adam, but you're, you're talking about people who are investing in Trump's, these Trump developments in former Soviet republics and these strange places where they're building Trump towers or Trump hotels. And you're talking both about people who are involved in financing these buildings and who would buy apartments in the buildings. 
Right. right. So, so nobody wants to launder money. I mean, laundering money in and of itself is a solution to a problem. It's not a goal. Um, it so, costs money. It doesn't it, make money. Right. You, when it, you, you, you have to put some of the coins into the laundromat, and you don't get those back. And, and it's a very rough rule of thumb. It costs like 20%. So that's a lot of money. And if you're moving $10 million, you know, you don't necessarily want to give $2 million away for money laundering purposes. But the problem is, it's the problem of, you know, in Breaking Bad, the millions of dollars in the base. It turns out having cash is a problem. Rats eat it. And it, it starts to mold. Um, <laughs> or you're amassing a bank account, but, you know, Vladimir Putin or Ilham Aliyev or whoever the dictator is, is kind of looking at you and thinking, hey, why does Jake Weisberg have $300 million in the bank? I don't like that. I want that to be my $300 million. And why can't you, if you're an oligarch in Azerbaijan or whatever, just open a bank account at Chase or Citibank and put as much of your money you want there. What would happen if you try to do that? So before 1986, you could. I mean, there, there really was not what we call anti-money laundering. It wasn't even a crime in and of itself for, for most of American history, most of world history. Interestingly, according to Gabriel Zuckman, the great scholar of this at UC Berkeley, the Swiss really maintain control to this day of the global money laundering world. They just outsourced it to these, you know, island economies, Panama, et cetera, et cetera. They're not technically islands, all of them. Panama's yeah. not, but... Um, They're financial islands. Financial well, islands. Well, all of these places, Paul Manafort seemed to have shell companies. Exactly. He was a account. big fan of Cyprus, of Cyprus. Seychelles. Yeah, exactly, yeah. the Grenadines. If, if Paul Manafort shows up, again, if he shows up in 1982 with a suitcase with $10 million, no problem. If he shows up, in 2002 or 2005 with a suitcase with $10 million, the bank has obligations. Who are you? Where'd you get the money? And if you're something called a politically exposed person, a PEP, and there are these huh. PEP lists that are, if you're a bank, you, you, you probably subscribe to one or more PEP list services. And that means somebody who is at high risk of being engaged in some kind of corruption. So you yourself are an elected official, you work for elected officials, you're, or you're the wife or son or brother or uncle or cousin of one. And, and Manafort certainly... That should, would include an American political consultant. I would think it would have to, yeah, an American political consultant. So when Paul Manafort opens an account, what's supposed to happen is, huh, we don't know who you are. You've opened the account as a limited liability company, some shell company with a name. And then we look at who owns that shell company, and it's another shell company. And who owns that shell company? Well, it's a third shell company. And actually, Bank of, uh, on Cyprus, the Council of Europe did a study. They found that the on average, it was about three, three deep, the shell companies hiding these— um, Three dolls within the larger yeah, dolls. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but in Cyprus, they'll let, you do, they'll let you open the account. But if you now were to go to Zurich in Switzerland, they wouldn't let you do it? Yeah, Zurich should not, and and Cyprus should not anymore. So the global, they call it AML, anti-money laundering system, is you show up, the bank should know what they call the beneficial owner of this money. So the who's at the end of the chain of, of shell companies. And then they should check that person. Is this person on one of these lists? Now, that list doesn't mean everyone on that list is corrupt, but it just means that certain transactions that have certain characteristics, like sudden deposits of hundreds of millions of dollars or deposits that follow a certain pattern, you know, from Tehran to Cyprus to British Virgin Islands, I don't know, something like that, um, or people who are on these PEP lists. Those should generate 
what they call a suspicious transaction report. And that should be filed with your local financial authority, which is then filed with this global or shared with this global thing called the Financial Action Task Force. And these are not things that are filed hourly. These are, you know, a a big bank like Citibank might file a few thousand a year. The typical bank might file a few, only a handful a year. But the Manafort transactions definitely should have been filed. Someone, some government official should have seen, huh, this guy sure has a weird pattern of depositing huge amounts of money. And then that money, so what we know is Manafort was taking that money from the Bank of Cyprus and then paying vendors in the U.S. Now, there would have been an intermediary. So the vendor in the U.S., there was, they listed a rug dealer, a rug dealer, two men's clothing, a furniture store, a home improvement company in the Hamptons. They would have had a bank. So it it said Mm. that this money was wired. So there would have at least been two banks, the Bank of Cyprus and the bank it was wired to. There'd also be SWIFT, the international money transfer uh, system. And so these all should have been shooting off these suspicious transaction reports. Now, it's not entirely clear what happens with those suspicious transaction reports, but these should have been shot off. I mean, what he did was so standard, it actually shows you just how, how bold he was and how little concern he had for being caught because he was doing so little to hide what he was doing. The money is amassing in the Bank of Cyprus, in a handful of different LLCs that he keeps reusing. It's sending money to all of these companies. Not, it's five of them, something like that. I forget the exact number. But the the rug store, the two men's clothing stores, the home improvement store, the antique shop. And it's coming in periods, it's coming every two weeks or every month or some a few times he skips a few months. The money's showing up very often, not always, but very often with in whole $1,000 multiples, so 100000 107000 77000 And if you just think, I mean, I'm not rich enough to be spending, you know, a total of $12 million on suits and rugs and, and home improvement, but I would think if I was, it would be very rare that the bill would be, oh, it happens to be $107,000 again. Oh, your suit happens to be $32,000. And this is a red flag for those who watch for money laundering when the numbers are just whole numbers, thousand multiples of a thousand, because it just shows you this is not a commercial transaction where someone is sitting there itemizing a bill, calculating the taxes, and then it comes to $32,327.48, which most transactions come to some strange number. My observation is he didn't even fake it. How hard is it to just fake that these are real transactions? So the suggestion is these vendors are are working with him and are not giving him necessarily suits and rugs, but that he's getting money back from them. Now, the indictment does not make that explicit allegation. The indictment talks about him using these to purchase these items. However, it is highly indicative. I mean, you could, I guess, imagine a home improvement project where – over, you know, a several-year period, you're going to spend a lot of money and you just say, all right, I'll pay you $32,000 every other week until we're clean. That you could sort of picture, but rugs and suits and, and antiques, it just doesn't make any sense. So they don't tell us who those people are. I'm sure lots of reporters, including me, are trying to figure out who these people are and were there other people kind of using them for this service. And they could be vulnerable to prosecution, money laundering prosecution too. Absolutely. I mean, they would be the money launderers, you know, so they would be the, if they weren't in fact offering the service, then Paul Manafort was the 
customer and they were the provider of the money laundering service. How do you go about finding a rug dealer who will money launder money for you? I mean, is it do you look on Craigslist or do you, is it is the idea more that maybe he set these people up in this kind of operation? I, I've spent a lot of time with people in the Trump orbit, so people who actually worked for him or people who were sort of around, deal makers yeah. who – and a few things strike me as surprising that make me think, oh, the world's a little different than than I realize. One is how open it all is. I mean, New York real estate, it's just – and I guess I kind of knew that there's a lot of money laundering in New York real estate. It's sort of a – you know, an open joke here that you look at 157, the giant tower, and you, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of Russian oligarchs who will never even see that place and who knows how they got their money. So there's a brazenness to it. There's also, it's like, there's kind of what I think of as retail money laundering. That's the a few bucks here, a few bucks there, where it's very cash-focused, and and, um, and that has a whole world of vendors that I don't know that much about, but my understanding is there's, you know, bodegas in New York and, you know, certainly the Hawala system where I can give a thousand bucks to a guy in New York and his cousin in Bangladesh will give my cousin a thousand dollars, that kind of thing, without any formal banking system knowing about it. But this wholesale money laundering that Manafort and others, tens of millions of dollars, in some cases, billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. And that is a relatively small universe. And I think they all, it's not that they all know each other, but it's its a pretty open and thinly veiled secret that if you're going to be buying luxury condominiums in New York or Miami or London, and you're from Russia or the Middle East, you're going to be associating with a group of people who know exactly how to do this and will tell you, use this bank, call this guy, that sort of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a very – it's not that they're advertising it. It's not that they're – well, some of them actually do have websites. I, I've seen two companies in New York that say, we serve – we serve Russian <laughs> oligarchs who demand discretion. Like literally, say those words. Those are those are euphemism for it, like escort service. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would. What's say, the euphemism for money laundering? R- it's discreet, discreet financial. Yeah, we service. do. Fi- fi- you know, unique finance. I can show you some websites. We do financial placement for Russian oligarchs who demand the highest discretion. That kind of, discretion is a big word that I see again and again. I'll also say I was at a I was at a hotel industry conference, kind of scoping this out, and I just. What struck me, I was at the sort of boring day talk, day session at the Marriott Marquis. And it's just, it's like any conference. It's a bunch of sort of boring guys, mostly guys, wearing boring suits. And then that night, the Trump Organization happened to have a party for people in the industry. And I went there. And it was just noticeable immediately. This is a different group. The the shirts are really open. There's gold chains. The hair is moosed up. This is a different crowd. They're louder. They're drunker. I just instantly walked in and I thought, it feels pretty obvious who I could go up to and say, hey, listen, you're not going to ask a lot of questions about where I got the funding, are you? Yeah, nah, we don't care. <laughs> as long as your check doesn't bounce. So money laundering becomes such a routinized thing that it's not hidden in some deep way. So my expectation would be that when we find out who Manafort was using, and who knows, I don't even know who they are, this is just a gut hunch, that there's an awful lot of people who use those companies, that it's a well understood. You know, you buy a 
$10,000 rug f- with a check for $100,000. and the like rug- cashing a check and you yeah, get the balance back yeah, in cash. exactly. So if you're Paul Manafort, why would you launder money? Is it simply to avoid paying taxes on it and I guess additionally for concealment of where you got it? Or is there some other interest there? Because presumably it wasn't illegal, I don't think, for Paul Manafort to work for Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine and be paid $18 million. I mean, it's awful and it's sleazy. But he, I guess, would have had the option of declaring his income to the IRS like everybody else, paying taxes on it, opening a legitimate bank account, and going and buying his rugs and suits with whatever was left left from it. So, you know, why did he, why would you do it? So it, according to the law, for it to qualify as money laundering, it, it has to be either for hiding it from the tax authorities to further the original crime. So, so if it is, if there is an original crime, well, for it to legally be money laundering, there does have to be an original crime. Right. So, um, if you and I made money legitimately, then routed it through a bunch of secret shell companies, and then declared our it on our taxes, we haven't committed money laundering. We've right. just wasted a lot of time and effort. Well, they but, posit this crime of not registering under the Foreign Agents right. Registration Act, so lo- illegal lobbying in the sense it was unregistered lobbying. Right. Yeah. So, so the so who who are you hiding it from, or who you, who are you trying to make this appear clean to? So taxes for sure. Um, and if money laundering does cost around twenty percent, so we have no idea. But whatever the rug dealer, if they were providing the service, whatever they were charging, is still a lot less than what Paul Manafort, who was making many millions of dollars a year, would have paid in taxes. So 20% would have been a nice bargain. You could also imagine that he had some concerns about expropriation that, you know, Putin or some other powerful oligarch might, he he might not want them to know how rich they are. The reason I think that might not be the case in Manafort's case is he was doing it through the Bank of Cyprus, which was effectively an arm of Russian oligarchy. So he was doing what the Russian oligarchs do. Yeah. So so it would be a lousy place to go if you're trying to hide it. So my hunch is it was hard, trying to hide that he was making that much money as a unregistered foreign agent and to keep it from taxes. And that would have been reason enough to do this and that he had no thought he'd get caught. And this is where I think we have a decent likelihood of finding a lot more about people in the Trump universe because the brazenness of money laundering is striking. I mean, we, I was looking at statistics about Cyprus. This is a relatively poor country with a, just over a million citizens that had a banking system, you know, worth something like 10, almost 10 times its GDP, nine times its GDP. That's crazy. I mean, America's banking system is is our, is the same size as our GDP. Yeah. Like normal economies are not, they don't have nine times as much money in the bank as they generate in income in a year. It says you're doing the banking for much bigger economies. For much bigger economies. But Cypriot banks, I guess you call them, were lousy banks. In fact, they collapsed. And so- it was just it was just this open secret. These banks are huge because they are serving the money laundering needs of primarily Russians, and it was just a a known part of the global economy, and no one paid much attention. And why would a Paul Manafort think that he wouldn't get caught? I mean, why act with such impunity? My impression is that the Treasury Department unit that deals with this is pretty effective, and they they have all sorts of tools to track financial crimes. Why do you think you won't get caught if you do this? So the the, the FinCEN that gets the suspicious transaction reports, if they're U.S. related and who yeah. interfaces with the other overseas bodies, 
as a former FinCEN employee explained it to me, it's kind of like Google. We have a lot of data in a computer, but it's not screaming out. It's not saying, hey, we just got five new suspicious reports on Jake Weisberg, and so we really should send someone and look into Jake Weisberg. It's more if I'm looking at you for some other crime, I then go into this database and I can find this information. And once I know you've committed that crime, the money laundering is a nice added charge. And sometimes that becomes the primary charge that I take you down with. But as I understand it, it's fairly rare for money laundering itself to be the thing that gets you in trouble. It's more we're looking at you for some other reason. And if you just look at the raw numbers, depending on which experts you believe, something between one and seven trillion dollars is in this money laundering economy every year. That's huge. I mean, the whole U.S. economy is like $16 trillion every year. So, I mean, the U.S. government and other governments are catching tiny pennies. So this is an extremely lucrative business. I mean, it, you know, a $7 trillion global industry would be, I don't even know what is a $7 trillion global industry. That's a big, you know, and, and so the vast, vast, vast majority of people laundering money, even huge amounts of money, are never going to get caught, never going to get in any trouble. And that's where the brazenness comes from. And how much do you think the Trump organization, Trump's old real estate and hotel business before he ran for president, how much is it a part of it? I mean, obviously, a lot of these oligarchs trying to get money out of sketchy places are putting them into Trump projects. But that's not to say that the projects are done with the purpose of attracting that money. I mean, how much do you think the Trump organization is, is, con is consciously engaged in facilitating this type of global trade? So here's my theory. This is a theory. And this is a theory rooted in, you know, a You've been reporting on reporting this for on years it like now. crazy. Yeah. And I yeah. have lots of sources within the Trump organization and that – Sometime around, say, 2006, the Trump business fundamentally changes from maybe a little earlier, from we build buildings to we sell our name to people who are building buildings. And very few people in America want them. Nobody in London or Paris or kind of prestige cities want them. But surprisingly, an awful lot of these oligarchs want them. So, you know, Baku Azerbaijan, I wrote about the Mamadov family, which, um, you know, known as being especially corrupt even for Azerbaijan, which is saying <laughs> a lot. Um, there's a deal in Georgia I wrote about. There was an attempted deal in Kazakhstan. So this is not th – these are like third-tier oligarchs in third-tier countries. These are not the elite. I mean, what yeah. I've learned is the real elite, they call up Goldman Sachs, and they have some incredibly fancy credit default swap deal that that's totally – on the surface, legal, but but is you know very sophisticated. They don't need they don't need the Trump organization. They don't need the Trump organization. Yeah. Um, and the advantage to the people Trump is working with the the oligarchs is by putting the Trump name on what would have otherwise just been you know corrupt oligarch tower or whatever. It gives them some protection do domestically, so the the strong man in their nation is a little less likely to steal everything because, boy, I don't want to get sued in American courts. I, You know, that guy Trump's a loudmouth. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Also, hotel 
and, and residential building projects are great for money laundering because you're buying so much stuff from all over the world, you know, the marble and the kitchen supplies, and you're buying architectural services and all this stuff, and it's very easy to— There's a lot of legitimate transactions. A lot of legitimate transactions all over the world, and if the invoice has, you know, for the Trump Tower, you figure maybe that— makes it a little even less likely that somebody's going to pay a lot of attention. So if if you look at the people Trump did business with in Azerbaijan, Georgia, the the two deals in Indonesia, the deal in the Philippines, the deal in Vancouver with a Malaysian businessman, the deal in Toronto with a Russian businessman, several of the deals in South America, these are with people, several of them are with people who don't have a history of of building properties, who are not hoteliers or, or or residential construction people. These are people who raise many red flags of corruption. They've been, many of them have been investigated. Some of them have been convicted for bribery, corruption, tax fraud, all of these things. These are people who couldn't do business with, say, Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons or some other legitimate entity. And so they are turning to Trump um, to put a whitewash. The other big warning sign is Many of these deals, I mean, I would argue certainly the Azerbaijan deal, probably the Georgia deal, they don't seem like they were ever going to work. They don't seem like they were anything like a real business. And as one money laundering expert explained to me, that's usually the biggest giveaway that because money laundering is the profit. So you've already made your profit. You're not trying to make a profit. And a friend of mine asked, um, well, yeah, but wouldn't they rather make a profit, you know, on the hotel or whatever? that they're building, the Trump Hotel, why would they want to lose money? And part of it you want to lose money is because failed businesses don't get the same scrutiny. They oh. disappear pretty quickly and the money is gone. The other reason is it's really hard to build a successful hotel. And and if your goal is just to move a few hundred million dollars from here to there, you don't want to do all that work. You just want to move the money. So I definitely feel like I've shown through my reporting that the Trump brand has been used to hide money laundering, to legitimize money laundering, where I I don't I don't think the Trump organization itself was the engineer, was figuring out, here's how you do it. Go to this bank, then go to that bank. I just don't see that expertise in-house. And just looking at how Trump exists in the world, I I do wonder, was he experiencing it in his mind as, oh, I'm facilitating money laundering? Or was he experiencing it as hey, these guys will pay me a million bucks. They seem like great guys because by definition, they're doing business with me, so they're <laughs> the best guys in the world. And was he, now legally it doesn't matter because it's clearly a case, in my view, of willful blindness, of either knowing that you're breaking the law or facilitating breaking the law, or it's so obvious that not knowing was a deliberate act. Well, you said these same people couldn't do deals with the Four Seasons or the Ritz-Carlton. And presumably that's because those companies would have been on guard against being vehicles for that kind of laundering. Is that the distinction? That is the distinction. So if you look at a Ritz-Carlton, like these major global brands, um, it, it's a bit of a trick. Like it, I, I don't want to overly sing their praises. I mean, it's kind of like the big Russian oligarch who hires Goldman Sachs. What you typically see, like in Azerbaijan, you know, the Trump Hotel went to the Mamada family, which was this third-tier, openly corrupt family. But everyone knows in that country that the first family, the Aliyev family and the, and the wife of the president, um, the Bashayev family, are 
as some people said to me, they're so corrupt, they don't have to be corrupt. I mean, they're, it's their state, so they don't have to bribe the— They're not hiding from anybody where they live. Yeah, they're yeah. not hiding from anyone where they live. They're not—they don't have to do the grubby business of bribing people, et cetera. So the, you know, the Four Seasons works with them. The Marriott works with them. And then that project— it's not illegal to work with corrupt people. It's not illegal to work with people who launder money. It's illegal for your work, your project, to be uh, money laundering. And what you generally see is these prestige real estate properties are about the prestige. And so if you are a Four Seasons or a Ritz-Carlton, what you can say and what industry experts told me they do say is, I don't care what you do in the rest of your life. This project's going to be clean. We're going to hire one of the big global accounting firms to look over every penny that's spent. We're going to hire a big American or British law firm to look over all the contracts. We're not going to be, you know, bribing people. We're not. This project will be clean. And frankly, you need our brand more than we need your money. And also, the goal here is to create a hotel that's going to generate revenue for 20 years. So interestingly, those big brands will charge maybe $100,000, $300,000 on signing up, but expect to make all of their money over 20 years of a well-operated hotel. Trump would always insist on payment right away, a million dollars, two million dollars, two and a half million dollars, five million dollars, way, way out of keeping with with industry norms, and frankly seemed indifferent to the long haul because he knew there wasn't going to be a long haul. He must have known. Or he has this immediacy bias that we all see all the time. So um, that's another reason why I think either he knew what was going on or he was deciding actively not to know. I've been speaking to Adam Davidson of The New Yorker. Adam, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Jacob. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.